Hadas Yisrael, and Etom Al-Kobas Eliyahu, which would be an Aliyah for all the Nishamos. And we should see the Geula. And, and Rabbi, Rabbi Khan, you should, you're going to bring it that much closer from being able to hear from you. So please, without further ado, Rabbi Klein. And thank you, Aviva Feas, for everything behind the scenes. And thank you all for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a privilege for me. What a privilege, what an honor, what a schus. Anytime that I get to reconnect with a group that we first connected with in Eretz Yisrael, it's particularly special because there's the Avir, the Eretz Yisrael, there's the spirit of Yerushalayim, of those moments that we spent in Eishat Torah together twice. And um, like Barry said, it's a relationship that I feel is very dear to my heart because the mission that all of you are on, the Chizik mission, is, in my opinion, one of the most exciting things that's happening in Yiddishkeit. And I really mean it. I really, really mean it. You, Barry, and Aviva, and anybody else who's involved in this, it's, it's such a Kiddush Hashem. You know, there, there are things that are Kiddush Hashem because they're out in the world and people see, and it's encouraging, and it's illuminating, and it's inspiring. And then there's a Kiddush Hashem that's also made in, in private. It's just not something maybe that the whole world needs to know about, but... This group of women, especially in such a busy time like right now, is uh, you know getting together to learn, getting together to to connect, and to make sure that we're really, really plugging in to what it is that we're doing in these days. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot is coming up. There are no words to express how special it is from an outsider so to speak, to look in and to watch what you guys are doing, it's tremendous. It's just tremendous. So it's a tremendous chus for me to be a little bit a part of it and, uh, and to learn together with you. And I, and I would ask just in this moment to try, let's shift into the mindset of Yerushalayim. So all of us can, in a way, be back there together in that place. The Baal Shem Tov famously says, where a person's mind is Shamhu Adam. That's where the whole person is. And so if collectively all of us can sort of focus our direction, our kavana in that, in that place, I think it's very powerful. And I think we can share that atmosphere and that experience together with the help of HaKadosh Baruch So as we stand on the threshold of Yom Kippur, the most glorious day of the year, the most elevated day of the year, the deepest day the most exalted period of time that we have as Jews, what's called Shabbos Shabbosan. It's like a double Shabbos. And we can imagine what, how, how beautiful and how powerful Shabbos is that the Sfarim have thousands and thousands of pages on the depth and the holiness of Shabbos. Yom Kippur is Shabbos Shabbosan. It's like even, even higher. It's a compounded energy of Shabbos. There's so much to say and there's so many angles and there's so many facets and there's so many details but with Hashem's help, I want to focus on one element that I think if we can hold on to this, what we're learning together, and walk into Yom Kippur with it, I think it could dramatically elevate and increase our experience of this day by understanding just what tshuva is and how powerful this thing is called tshuva and how it relates specifically to time. That's what I want to speak with you about today with Hashem's help. You know, we ordinarily think that the element of nature that conceals Hashem is space. Physical space and the things that fill space. 
the physical world, the material world, mass, things that take up space, that hides HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem is infinite. And our physical reality is limited, it's finite. And we perceive that to conceal this level of existence that we can't even conceive of. It's just called infinity. Our minds live within a spatial reality. We can't even grasp the concept of infinity specifically because we live every waking moment of our lives within the dimension of space. But the truth is that because this experience of the human condition within a physical world is lived within two dimensions, space and time, time just as powerfully hides HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because Hashem is not only infinite, Hashem is also eternal. The name Yud Kevavke famously is a conjugation of three words, Haya, Hove, Ve'yeh. Hashem was, He is, and He will forever be. But we live within a finite reality where it's transient. There's time. And our consciousness registers past and future primarily. That's where we spend most of our time. And our consciousness is ordinarily most caught up with things that happened in the past and things that are going to be happening in the future. If we watch any measure of time in our minds, a minute, two minutes, just in the middle of the day, and ask yourself this question, well, what category do my thoughts fit into? You'll find that the overwhelming majority of thoughts concern the past or the future. Because that's where the human identity is. That's where the ego is. That's where our consciousness is. Because it depends heavily on what happened in the past, memories that we perceive to make up the bulk of who we are, our experiences, our circumstances. And most importantly, is the future. What's going to happen? What's this person going to think of me? Am I going to be successful or am I not going to be successful? How can I plan in the moment for future success in order to fortify my identity? Past and the future are both ordinarily related to our ego, to the human consciousness, and lock out Hashem entirely, who is above this whole conception of time that exists within this causal spectrum, past, present, and future. Where then can we find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this spectrum of time if past and future is not where we're going to contact HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Because that's where the ego is rooted in past and in the future. And of course the answer is the present. The present moment. Because the present moment is all there ever is. This Again, I want to make this clear. It doesn't mean that all that exists is this moment because the past certainly existed. And in two minutes from now, I sure hope that all of us will still be here experiencing reality. But the deepest secret is to realize that the past was also only the present. In that moment in the past, what we were experiencing was the present then. And what will happen in the future is also the present. It's a series of moments that we experience moment by moment by moment. And that experience is eternity expressed in time. So that means to say that if we can connect truly to the present, then we connect with a window into eternity. 
That is where life is unfolding. And life is undoubtedly Hashem, so to speak, turning himself inside out. It's all an experience of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, who's the creator, who's the Machadish Betuvay B'chalyoyim Tamid, my Sibiratius, who allows creation to unfold each and every moment around us, within us. The more that we can connect with the moment, the more that we, that we can connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu without the past and the future masking His eternity. So here we find an amazing thing. The name Yudke Vavke, like we said before, is a conjugation of Haya, Hove, and Ye. Was, is, and will be. But the truth is that it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a funny word. We don't even express it. There are opinions that we don't even know how to express it. Of course, the Kohen Gadolis says the name on Yom Kippur, which we'll get to in a minute. But we can actually begin to see this name, not as four letters, but actually as three letters with a prefix. The three letters being He, Vav, and He, which spell Hove, which means the present, and the letter Yud. What's the letter Yud as a prefix? The letter Yud always speaks about that which is always happening. The Beis HaMikdash is called the place that Hashem Yivchar, will choose. What does that mean, will choose? Say the Mepharshim, he already chose it. No, Yivchar means perpetually choosing. So when we say the name Yudke Vavke, what we're actually think we don't say it, but what we're actually encountering is, paradoxical idea, the perpetual present. Yud Hove. Hove means the present. Yud means the present that is consistently unfolding. That's where we contact HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know, we say in Shacharis, Ki kol elilim. All of the gods, lowercase g, the idols of the nations of the world is, is folly, it's nothing, it's stupidity, it's, it's, it's sticks and stones. Then we pause and we say, Hashem shamayim asa. On the other hand, Hashem created heaven and earth. Now, on a simple level, the reason why we pause, of course, is to create a separation between speaking about the idols of the nations of the world and then speaking about the master of heaven and earth, the infinite one. You can't even say the same, you can't, you can't say the two in the same breath. You have to pause. But I heard an amazing interpretation that's different that says we don't pause simply to make a separation. We need to pause in order to access Hashem Shamayim Asa. If we are going to connect with the concept of the infinite, eternal God, He is only expressed in the present moment. And so in order to do that first, we need to stop, we create a space, we center ourselves in life as it's unfolding right now, irrespective of everything that happened until now, and without thinking about the future, because that's ego. We open ourselves up to the moment, letting go of past, letting go of future. Okay. Vahashem, Yudke Vavke, Yud Hove, the perpetual present, Shamayim Asa. He created the heavens. And if I can do that, then it's not the same heaven that it was. It's Mamish the heaven as it is right now. HaKadosh Baruch Hu bringing the heavens to life, bringing earth to life, bringing everything into being right now, cuts away all of the noise of our own consciousness and allows us to access a realm beyond. There's a little-known song. I'm sure none of you have heard of it. 
It goes like this. Yerushalayim, Harim Savivla. Yeah, I mean, you probably never heard of this song, right? Okay, right? So this song is obviously going viral on TikTok now in the world, and it has 7 million views, mostly by non-Jews. Most Jews don't even know this song. By Miami Boys Choir. But the point is, is that when you get to the end of that phrase, they sing, Me'ata v'yad o'lam. What does this mean? Me'ata v'yad o'lam. On a simple level, it means Hashem surrounds His nation from now till forever. But perhaps we can say a deeper meaning of these words, these three words. And it's good to remember, me'ata ve'ad o'ilam isn't that we're talking about something that's true now and will always be true. But me'ata, if we can depart through the portal of the present, ve'ad o'ilam, that takes us to eternity. Me'ata, if we can use the now as a portal, ve'ad o'ilam, then what we're really accessing is the truth of a reality that's beyond time and space, that's forever that's unbridled from the chains of past and future. What does this have to do with Yom Kippur? Very important idea, especially if we can put it into practice and not just keep it in the realm of words, but if we can really live this way, unbelievable. What does this have to do with tshuva? So Chazal say an amazing thing. Chazal say, Ein va'ata el-aloshen tshuva. Anytime you find the word va'ata, which means and now, this is actually a reference to tshuva. Because the Pasuk says, va'ata Yisrael ma Hashem mi'imach. And now, what does Hashem ask of you? Say chazal, and what's and now? Tshuva. This is the foundation for return. Va'ata, and, and now. How do we understand this? Tshuva as a portal to eternity. Tshuva as the deepening of our relationship with the moment. Well, on a simple level, we can speak about the opposite of tshuva being all the things that we need to do tshuva for. All of that's got to be founded on our own consideration. Meaning, there's the ratzon of Hashem, there's what Hashem wants. And then we choose to act in a way that's not aligned with that. That's going to be founded on, on ego, right? Meaning on the experience of our separateness from Hashem. I have my own considerations. Hashem has his considerations. Most of the time we try to be aligned with it, but sometimes there's a chait. The word chait doesn't mean sin. It means to miss, to veer off. Lachti means to miss. So all of those experiences are going to be related to past and future. They're part of the noise of the illusion of our independence, that we're in this world for us and for our own considerations. It's an illusion. In a moment of tshuva, I'm tapping into that which is truly eternal, that which is truly transcendent, that which is truly, in the moment, an experience of forever. Because it connects with that which is MS, and MS means that which is always, always true. So even though there might be the noise of the past and even moments in the future where I might lose touch, a moment of tshuva is not just a quantifiable moment, 60 seconds like any other moment that's spent in silliness. It's a moment where I find myself aligned with forever, 
with the forever of Hashem Elekechem Emes. The truth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that always was and always will be. Right now I'm aligned with forever. Ein va'ata elalashin tshuva. Tshuva centers me in the now and the now is me'ata va'ad oilam. A part of me is emerging that it's not that right now I happen to be feeling this way. This is the way I always really feel deep, deep inside. This is the way that I've always really felt. This is the way that I, by hook or by crook, I will always feel. And not just me as an individual. All my grandparents before me all the way until Avram Avinu. And all of my children and grandchildren after me until Mashiach comes. Eternity. Haya and Yiyya. Forever. In both directions. In the moment of tshuva, I'm accessing the power, so to speak, of the present moment. Which is, of course, the greatest gift. That's why it's called the present, of course. And through that... I'm able to touch a place where all of existence, spatial reality, and the delusion of time, past and future, it falls away. And all there is is me. All there is is clarity in terms of what my mission is vis-a-vis HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who's forever. Ein va'ata tshuva. It's not just another moment. It's an infinite moment. It's an eternal moment. It's eternity expressed in time. Now, what's amazing about tshuva is that the portal that opens up actually features a staircase through that portal. Because tshuva doesn't simply mean that I did something in the past and now I intend to apologize for it, to say sorry, and hopefully HaKadosh Baruch Hu will forgive me. The Sfarim teach that because tshuva accesses the perpetual present, which we call eternity, ha-yahova and yia, tshuva actually enables me to strip away the illusion of time to such a degree that I can actually literally go back in time and undo what I did. Because if all of time is an illusion, then in a certain sense for Hashem, whatever I did is also accessible right now. And I can redo it. It's literally going back to that same situation, those same circumstances where I made a mistake and this time not making the mistake. It's not simply crossing something out. It's an eraser. Where does an eraser go? On the old pencils, the yellow pencils. I don't know if they have them anymore. Still in schools. They were wonderful to chew on. You remember? You could make all these, <laughs> these bite marks on these, on these yellow, very satisfying, these yellow pencils. Where did the eraser go? On the top. On the top. Why? Because in order for me to have the confidence to write something, I need to know that I have the capacity to erase in case I make a mistake. Otherwise, I might not write anything at all. Chazal say that tshuva kadmala oilang. If the world is Hashem's pencil, so to speak, intended to write and to draw all kinds of glorious images of a world that's illuminated with a Kaddish Baruch Hu's presence, there needed to be an eraser on top. And there was. Tshuva. Tshuva kadma la'ilam. Before anything unfolded, tshuva, the concept of tshuva, the portal through the now that enables me to access the past and simply erase. It's not just crossing out a mistake. It's a whiteout. 
It's mamish and eraser to go back in time and undo what I thought I had done. This is true so strongly that it's a halachic reality as well. Listen to this. An amazing, amazing thing. It's Kedai to see it inside. Right now the source, the exact source, it's in Rambam Hilchas Mamrim. I can't remember the exact parakra halacha, but I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Bez Hashem. I would love to share it afterwards if anybody's interested. The Rambam says that even if a person's father is a Russia and a Baal Averis, really a person that's really sunk into physicality and to, and to self-gratification and, and even to, to, to lowly, very, very coarse modes of behavior. The son and the daughter still have a chiv, a responsibility, an obligation of kibbut af. Need to be mechabit, says the Rambam, even though he's a person, he's a, a wicked person. We need to be mechabit, our parents, no matter what. The Ridbaz who's a commentary on that part of the Rambam on the side, asks a question from a Gemara in Baba Metziah. The Gemara in Baba Metziah in Parag Ezu Neshach says that if a person's father died and left over a Yerusha that included money that he obtained through ribis, meaning to say he lent money, but he lent it with, with, uh, uh, with, with ribis, right? So that money is, is, is not properly in his possession, right? It's an Isser. We're not allowed to lend money on, on, on Ribas. Then the children need to go ahead and return that portion of the money to whoever the father got that money from because that's called Kibbut Av. But the Gemara says that's only if he did Tshuva. If he didn't do Tshuva, there's no Chiv of Kibbut Av. So the question is, it seems like a contradiction. On the one hand, the Rambam says clearly that a person has an obligation to be mechabit to honor one's father, even if he's a wicked person. But on the other hand, this Gemara seems to say that the only reason that the children would need to return the money as kibbut av is if the father had done tshuva. But if not, so then there's then there's there's no obligation. So which one is it? Says the Ridbaz, there's a very, very mighty distinction between these two cases. In the case of the Rambam, that the Rambam says that if a person's father, Nebuchadnezzar, we still need to, we still need to honor him. He says over there, he's, he's still alive. In the case in the Gemara, the person had died already. What's the difference? Says the Rambam, all the while that the person is still alive, he could do tshuva. And if he does tshuva, then retroactively, all of his averis are wiped away. And that means that right now, in the moment, you have an obligation to honor him, just in case he does tshuva sometime in the future, that would wipe away and erase all of his actions now. Amazing thing. That means that each and every moment, we have a responsibility to honor even a wicked father. Because if he does tshuva at some point in the future, whatever he's doing now will have retroactively been wiped away. And that means that if you're not giving him honor now, you won't have honored a person that's absolutely rutway fitting to, to have honored. An amazing, amazing thing. And what I find so powerful is that the Rambam in this conception doesn't give any time limit. He doesn't say uh, until the person is, is, is 100 years old. After that, it's just... That means until the last moment of this person's life, his children need to honor him in case he happens to have the privilege of doing tshuva the last minute. 
which will retroactively erase all of his misdeeds and render him as having indeed been fitting to receive honor from his children his whole entire life, every moment until now. Tshuva does not cross out. Tshuva erases. Tshuva brings us through the portal of the now into me'ata va'ad o'ilam, to eternity, where time is anyway seen as an illusion, where there's no such thing as past or future, and so I can actually go back and undo what I did. Very, very powerful. The standard framework of time is the framework of seven. Seven days of the week. And we know this because every basic framework has an element of Kedusha in it. So in physical space, Eretz Yisrael, of course, where again all of our minds are focused, and so in a certain sense we're all there, we're sharing that avira, that atmosphere together. Eretz Yisrael is the holy component of space. Where's the holy component of time? Of course, it's Shabbos. And so that tells us that if Shabbos is the holy component in time as one day of seven, then seven is the basic framework for time in the way that we experience it in our lived experience of the human condition. Even though, the, again, there are seconds, there are moments, 60 seconds and a, and a minute and 60 minutes and an hour and so on, the basic framework of time is, is, is seven. And this is true in all cultures across the world, and it's always been true and it always will be true. So it's based on a spiritual reality. Seven is nature. It's true spatially too. There are seven continents, seven oceans, seven planets, classical planets, seven metals, seven colors of the rainbow, seven musical notes, and so on. All of this is true about space as well. Time is built on the concept of seven. One above seven, which is eight, is always hinting to that which is above nature. Right? That's why, for example, the Maral tells us famously in many places that Hanukkah is eight days because Hanukkah represents a nace that's beyond nature. Unlike Purim, which is a nace, which is a miracle within nature, Hanukkah is a nace beyond nature, eight days. Because it's one beyond seven. Seven is always nature. One beyond seven, eight, is a much, is a much higher realm. Now, if we take seven and times it by seven, which would mean like nature times by nature, the pinnacle of nature, we get 49. One above that model is 50. 50 are the gates of Bina. Bina is associated with 50. One above 49, 49 being seven times seven, the pinnacle of nature, the pinnacle of physicality, the pinnacle of time that blocks out our experience of the eternal as he is expressed in our unfolding uh, experience of reality. Bina. The Mukhabalim say that Bina is not just a faculty, our 50 gates of comprehension. But Bina actually represents a spiritual reality within the framework of existence. So we have our physical realm, and in the upper spiritual realms, there's a world called Bina. In that world is the Kisei HaKavod. That's where the Kisei HaKavod is. It has a location, so to speak, of course, in a spiritual sense, not a physical chair. 
But there is a realm within which the Kisiyah covet is situated, and that realm is called Bina. Now, if the whole thing of tshuva is that I'm able to go beyond time, and I'm able to lift myself above the constrictions of nature seven days, to touch a point that's beyond, and thereby to go back into the past and erase and undo and redo, and render everything that I ever did as completely different, that this time I did things right. And if the realm beyond nature is called Bina, which is associated with 50, 50 being 1 beyond 49, or 8 beyond 7, now we can understand the Chazal that tells us, Gedoyla Tshuva, Tshuva is so great, do you know why? Shemegas ad because tshuva reaches the kisei hakavod. This is a Gemara. Tshuva is great because it's able to reach the kisei hakavod. Where's the kisei hakavod? In bina. What's bina? 50. 50 is 1 beyond 49. 49 is 7 times 7. That's the nature of time that we experience and we're stuck in it. And that's how we live moment to moment and, and, and hour to hour, day to day, 7 days. Tshuva enables me through, again, through the portal of the present to access a realm that's beyond time. The realm of the Kisei HaKavod. The realm of our essential identity, which is rooted in Yaakov Avinu, who had 12 Shvatim from whom all of us descend. Chazal say, who's etched into the Kisei HaKavod? The face of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is connected to Emes. Emes, we said, is eternal. Titain Emes li Yaakov. Emes is forever. Svas Emes, the Pasuk says, Tikon la'ad. Something that's true is forever. Ve Emes Hashem la'oilam. Amen va amen. Emes is that which is eternal. Yaakov is connected to Emes. Yaakov is on the Kisiyah Kavod. Yaakov is the place in the Kisiyah Kavod from which all of our neshamas are, are hewn, Chazal say. That's where we're etched from, all of us. And so in tshuva, rising beyond the noise of the past and the future and the delusional nature of the ego that we get caught up in that causes us to become fascinated, even stuck in things that happen to us or things that will happen to us. When we walk through that portal, we contact one beyond 49, 50, Bina, the place of the Kisya covered. we are coming into contact with our essence. Our essence in eternity, in MS. What always was and what always will be. And of course, the word MS is Aleph, Mem, and Tuf. Aleph being the furthest we can think back in the past. Tough being the furthest we could think back in the future. And Mem, of course, being the middle. Mem in the center. MS, just the widest span of possible existence, possible experience. That's the moment of tshuva, which is a moment qualitatively different than the standard moments that we experience as time unfolds. Yom Kippur, therefore, is not a day not a day in the classical sense. It's an invitation to step into eternity. Untethered from food, untethered from drink, untethered from experience, even from color, and all the men are wearing white. 
We're gifted with the opportunity to step out of the realm of the standard noise that we ordinarily find ourselves trapped within and to reach beyond, to walk through a doorway that takes us into eternal, eternality, forever. The essence of who we are, the essence of who we always were, the essence of who we always will be, no matter what. And that clarity enables us to go back in time and undo, and undo by revealing a layer that even in that moment wasn't doing what we thought we did. All of the misdeeds happen on the surface level. Deep, deep beyond the MS of who we are was there too, and it did not partake. On Yom Kippur, the light of that level of our MS, of what we truly want, of who we truly are, of how much we're plugged into our mission of bringing chizuk to the world and bringing chizuk to ourselves, but that's mamish, our mission. So in so doing, that means that we are able to go back and reveal the level of our experience that even then, even then, was free from that behavior. That's the opportunity that Yom Kippur gifts us with. An amazing, amazing moment. That's not a moment. It's a portal. It's a doorway. It's a hallway out. A hallway in to a level beyond. Now we can understand why at the pinnacle of the service of the Kohen Gadol, and the Karbanos that he's bringing, Chazal tell us the Mishnah and Yuma, and we say it again and again in the Avodah of Musaf of Yom Kippur. Achas, achas vi achas, achas v'shtayim, achas v'shalosh, and so on until achas v'sheva, a reference to the Kohen Gadol spritzing the blood of the Karbanos, one above and seven below. And each time that he did it again to, to, to send the blood below, he would count again, making reference to the achas that he had already done above. Achas, achas achas, achas v'shtayim, one and one, one and two, one and three, one and four, one and five, one and six, achas v'sheva, one and seven. What's the depth here? Why is the coin Gadol sending the blood up one and down seven? Because this, friends, this is the whole essence of Yom Kippur. That the Kohen Gadol is taking us from the seven below to the one above. And the one above, of course, is a reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is the one above. Hashem is Echad Yachid Umiyuchad. But it's also the realm of Bina. And the realm of Bina is the Kisya Kavod. And the Kisya Kavod is our essence. So the Kohen Gadol's job in Yom Kippur is to draw the light of eternality that's rooted in the place beyond time, beyond space, down into our experience. It's as if a cloud of annihilating, blinding light descends. And it renders this reality that we experience during this day that's not a day. It envelops this reality with the light of, 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 a, of, of a heavenly experience that knows no boundary. 
It knows no boundary in time, and it knows no boundary in space, and therefore it knows no boundary on the level of our human consciousness. We on Yom Kippur don't exist in the way that we ordinarily exist the rest of the year. The shining essence comes out to such a degree that on Yom Kippur at least, and the truth is we should try to work on this the rest of the time, I know that I am trying valiantly, and I'm sure that all of us are, but on Yom Kippur at least we can literally be in the moment in the present, without looking at the clock and wondering when it's going to finish. Because if we do that, then it means that there's still a part of us that's, that's, that's stuck. There's still a part of us that's stuck. On Yom Kippur, it means to say that right now I'm submitting myself, not to an experience of a doubting that takes hours, but of a perpetual moment-to-moment experience of eternity. And in as much as we can align ourselves with that consciousness, that means that we're moving from the seven below, the Sheva, to the one above. And there's a part of us that comes out in Yom Kippur that's mamish, not only pure in the moment because we're being forgiven, but is a revelation of the purity that always was, always will be for all generations before us, for all generations after us, that existed even in the moment of sin, which of course just means a chet, it means that we veered off the path that we ourselves are truly deeply committed to, to the point that everything is rendered moot and insignificant in the light of that blinding, blinding light that the Kohen Gadol is bringing down upon us from the one above, achas, to achas v'sheva, down into the constraints of our lived experience of time and space. And that's why, as a sign for our being forgiven in Yom Kippur, it's not simply that, you know, maybe there are two threads. One is red and one is white. And when the time comes for the Kohen Gadol to have finished his avodah, they take away the red one and they bring out the white thread. No, that wouldn't be enough. Because that's still writing a word, deciding that you shouldn't have written it, and crossing it out and then writing another word. But over here we find this amazing thing where the red string itself turns white. Which means that we're utilizing the eraser that sits as the premise for existence, tshuva kadmala oila, the tshuva that lies beyond the boundary of our experience. We're erasing the word, as it were, in this muscle, and we're writing a new word on top of it. I would even say that by erasing the word, we reveal a word that was always there in the first place. The essence, the etzem, the emes of Yaakov Avinu Chakuk on the Kisya Kavod, G'dayla Tshuva Shemagasad Kisya Kavod, where you and I are not individuals living in 2022. We're not. That's what it looks like. We are eternal warriors. And the same spirit that I hold within me is the spirit that my grandmother had when she was in Auschwitz at 18 years old. What her grandmother had before her going through pogroms in Ukraine. And what their grandparents had all the way, all the way, all the way back. And what my children have. And what their children will have forever. Because it's only the illusion that makes us think that we're regular human beings. We're not. We are not. We are present-day containers for an eternal spirit, tasked with an eternal mission. And if along the way we fall into the delusional illusion that we're actually part and parcel of this world and that we have our own considerations that root us in the past or in the future, 
Yom Kippur gives us the opportunity to shed that, step into the present, open up with all of our heart and soul to a realm that's simply beyond, to a realm that's simply within, to a realm that always was, always is, and always will be. The Shem Elohim is always indicative of nature. Elohim famously is Gematria Hateva. Nature is Elohim. Yudke Vavke is the perpetual present. It's a realm that beyond time and space. Yudke Vavke is the Shema Etzem. It's godliness as godliness, so to speak. So at the end of Yom Kippur, after the whole Avoida, and after going through this experience of revealing that essence, that part of us that never wanted to do those things, that part of us that wasn't essentially present then, and is being brought out now through our vidui and through our promising HaKadosh Baruch that from now on we're going to try the best that we can to live aligned and not just to do the right things or withhold from doing the wrong things, but to be different, to live differently, all of us, all the time. A shift in consciousness. At the end of this whole process, at the very, very end of Ni'ilah, which of course doesn't mean that we're being locked out, but we're locked in with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Cheder Yichud, in this incredible moment of intimacy, we begin to announce, Hashem Hu HaElekim. Hashem Hu HaElekim. Hashem Hu HaElekim. Louder, more passionately, with more feeling. Hashem Hu HaElekim means nature Elokim is, is Yudke Vavke. It is Yudke Vavke. The illusion of moments, the illusion of time, the illusion of ego, the illusion of space, the illusion of past and future. It's an illusion. All there is is a Kodesh Baruch All there is is the moment. All there is is a mission. All there is is our eternal kiss with a Kodesh Baruch Yishakainim and Ashikas Piyu. Anila Doidi that culminates in this moment of intimacy on Yom Kippur. How many times do we say Hashem Alekim? Seven. Because of course we're trying again to nullify the delusion of this sevenness of nature in space, the sevenness of nature in time. Chazal tell us that at those moments, at the end of Ni'ilah, the Shechina begins to ascend, which I always found very painful. It's like, why should that? On the contrary, Hashem should be coming down so deeply. But the way that we've expressed it is that Yom Kippur is the revelation of that which is really always there. But it allows us in these moments, disjointed and disconnected from eating, drinking, physical sensation, in shul the whole day, right? As much as we can. Obviously for women, some women, the Aved is different with children, which is also another opportunity, harder, more challenging, to maintain this focus that even that, even that, even that Avoida, Hashem Hu Elikin, it's an encounter with the divine. But as much as we can to be in shul, as much as we can to David. This is an experience, like we said, of this annihilating cloud, right? This blinding flash that descends on Yom Kippur, which, again, only allows us to unveil what is always there. And then that cloud begins to ascend. It's not the Shekhinah's leaving. That experience of clarity 
begins to ascend. And so what do we need to do? It's not that every time we say Hashem Elikim, the Shekhinah goes up again. It can't be. On the contrary, Hashem Elikim means that we're drawing the Shekhinah down. But it means that Hashem is entrusting us as human beings who live 364 days of our year not in shul and not in a kittel and not without food and drink and not in this place of cloud nine or cloud eight, more specifically, in the context of this talk, right? We don't live there. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, listen, now you really got to lock it in. Lock it in. You had one day on the palace on top of the mountain. Now, as the cloud ascends, Hashem says, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I never was somewhere else that I needed to come and then leave. But this clarity is one that you need to imprint on your consciousness. And so as the Shekhinah, so to speak, as the cloud goes up, again, not a cloud of darkness, a cloud of incredible, incredible blinding light, we try to embed this awareness into our psyche. Hashem Hu Halekim. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu trusts us with it. So he says, ah, you learned the lesson. Okay, I can go up a level. Okay, then we say it again. Hashem Hu Halekim. Okay, Hashem says, okay, I can take a step back. He's gifting us with the opportunity to live in a world marked by the illusion of human consciousness with all of the moments that that gifts us, with all the experiences that we're able to appreciate as Be'ez HaShem, as parents and as, and, and as wives and as friends and as community members and as Yidin and as whatever our position is as a person in this world, with all of what that comes along with, HaShem trusts us with it. And then indeed, we have four days after Yom Kippur, then we go into Sukkot. What's Sukkot? Sukkot is the application of this lofty ideal. We literally go into a, a parking lot in some cases, a backyard in other cases, a front lawn, a deck, which is just regular mundane land, and we conquer it with the hug of the Shekhinah. We conquer it. Hashem trusts us. And of course, those four days are connected to Yud, K Vav, K. And so if the palace on top of the mountain was Yom Kippur, we climbed down the mountain from the Yud to the He, to the Vav, to the He, having learned the lesson of Yud Hove, the, poten the, the perpetual present, and we're able to then march out into a physical world of the lived experience of our humanity and to conquer it for our Kodesh Baruch Hu, living within the physical with the perception and consciousness and awareness of, of Yom Kippur. And perhaps when we're sitting in the sukkah, we can have this in mind, that the floor of the sukkah is the past. Because the floor is what we sit on in the given moment, right? It's everything that led us here. That's the floor. The walls around us is the present. And the schach on top is the future. But rooted in the present, in the walls of the sukkah, the embrace of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, we're able to demonstrate that even when we live in the consciousness of having had a past, and even when we live in the consciousness of our ambitions, because we are human and it's very hard to live literally moment to moment because we, we have to plan for the future. And this event was planned a couple of weeks in advance. And no good things can happen in our experience of the world without past, present, and future. We say, Hashem, you trust us with it. You trust us with it. We can maintain the consciousness of Yom Kippur even in the regular days of the year. That's the message and journey of Yom Kippur and the journey of Tshuva and how it relates and brings us to into Sukkot. Into Sukkot. I want to I close with reading you some lines from a poem. It's very, very deep. 
and it's very dear to me. And it was written by a special tzaddik, a true bal tshuva. His name was Rav Hillel Zeitlin. Some of you may have heard of him. If you haven't, it's, it's worth looking into, into him and his writings because they're eminently relevant for our generation. And he was maybe one of the first to really get it, what needed to be done. He had a soaring soul, a very turbulent journey. He was actually born into a Chabad family before World War I. And then he experienced a shift in his, in his personality and his religious strivings. And he joined the Haskalah and he went to Berlin and he literally became a, a, a real masculine, like a total philosopher. And, 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 he, and he was editing all the journals and joined all the literary communities over there at that time. And when World War I hit, he dropped it all and he, and he came back. This time through Breslov a little bit, but he maintained all Claudius Hasidus Chabad, and and he and he and and for decades he did nothing else, having seen the whole spectrum of possibility for human experience. He maintained a staunch connection, and a bond with Yiddishkeit, but one that remained incredibly authentic, all the way until World War Two, when eyewitness testimony tells us that he was murdered in the Warsaw Ghetto wearing talus and tefillin and holding his copy of the Zara Kadosh. That was the journey of Ravilla Zeitlin. And he wrote prolifically, prolifically. They're still putting out every year, they put out another volume that they translated from Yiddish. Most of it is Hebrew, but there is one book in English. This is the book over here. This is what he looked like. <laughs> Afterwards, he had a beard and, <laughs> and pays. So this was put out by like a reform publication because they were the ones that edited it. And it, you know, so it's called Hasidic Spirituality for a New Era. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. But this is what he looked like. This is, but at the end, I don't have a picture of how he looked at the end. But he had a beard and pais, mamish, a full turnaround. But he was such a seeking soul, such a, an authentic, striving, searching soul. And for anybody here who has the book, uh, the the story of our lives, in the appendix, all the way in the back, we have um, a translation of an essay that he wrote. It's called Beryl the Chassid. So if you ever read that piece of the book, that was also by Hill Zeitlin. So I want to just read you these, uh, these words from this poem. And, um, and I really ask that you open your heart to it and, and, and that it become itself a portal in this moment for us to begin to prepare for Yom Kippur, a hallway to walk into this incredible experience that we're gifted with. What a privilege. What a privilege. So let's, let's share these words together and then, uh, and then, we'll, and then we'll finish for today. He says like this, If you care not for me or what I do, why have you placed me on this earth? Am I not your emissary, like everyone who bears the breath of heaven? Why then don't you give me strength or power to achieve what I was sent to do? Why do you not give me strength or power to drive out of my path all that disturbs my mission, the desire of the flesh, my narrowness of spirit, all my melancholy and my torment and my stumbling. Why isn't my will entirely bound in holiness to you? Why do you let me act against your wishes? Is not your breath of life a force that purifies and refines? Does not your life breath emanate from Eden? Don't the waters of your fountain flow from the innermost room of heaven's temple? And so... From where comes to the world the taint of life? From where come the desires that are not for you? From where the longings that are but for dust and ashes? Your right hand can console me 
Why then do you bring me down? Your spirit lifts me up. Why then do you sink me into dusk? My heart calls out to you. Why then do you push me far from you? Whenever I come nearest to you, you keep walking far away from me. Whenever I approach you, you drive me away and push me out. And is my wrongdoing so great? Have my transgressions been that grave? And if they've truly been that grave, can you not find it in you to forgive them? You who lift all worlds and everything that lives and all generations. And if I have become unclean, are you not the ocean that washes clean every impurity? And if my spirit has grown dark, are you not the sunlight that can illuminate all darkened corners? And if I have grown weak, and if I have grown fragile, and if I have been beaten down, are you not the stronghold of eternity? And he ends, If I am but a droplet from your ocean, let me fall into the mouth of God. If I am but a ray of your great sun, may I again return to it. Light of the boundless one, I open the crevices of my soul before you, so you may encircle them, surround them, enter them, and penetrate them thoroughly. Light of the boundless one, my life is your life. My light is your light. My breath is your breath. Light of the boundless, become one with me. Cling close to me. Enable me to dwell amid your heavens, while I live upon this ground. Let me cling upon your spirit while I live inside my body. May I cling unto your radiance from the depths of my abyss. Hashem should bless us with the Gemara Chasimah Teva, with opening, opening up to the light of the boundless, to walk into Yom Kippur realizing this is not just another minute, this is forever, and to share it with our children and Be'ezer Hashem with our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Darius Yisharim Umavayrachim, and with our parents, they should live long and happy and healthy, and to realize that we have two hands on Yom Kippur. One, we're grasping all the generations that came before us, and the other, we're grasping all the generations that will come after us, and we're connecting to the face of Yaakov Avinu Amikis Yaakov, to our true Ratzon, what we really want, and who we really are, with Hashem's help. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for the opportunity.